Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome, leaders, to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff, and I'm so excited to be with you again today. We are getting ready to step into the summer, and I want to thank you for your listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Thanks for letting it know, letting us know it's making a difference in your life. And I know a lot of you right now are trying to navigate how to lead the next generation. That's a real challenge. And today, we have a couple of incredible young leaders on the show. We've got Grant Skeldon and Luke Lefebvre. Grant Skeldon moved to Nashville in 2020 to become the next-gen director for Q ideas with Gabe and Rebecca Lyons, and uh, he is educating and equipping Christians to engage our cultural moment. And Luke Lefevre is a 25-year-old. He lives in Nashville as well. He's the visionary director of young adults. He's got a conference called Consecrate that calls his generation of radical holiness, audacious faith, and a renewed commitment to the Great Commission. Now, This time around, I didn't do the interview, David Kinneman didn't do the interview, but our good friend Joe Jensen, who is the VP of Church Engagement, sat down to interview Grant and Luke about what they're learning about the next generation. So I'm going to give it over to Joe Jensen and now join in on the conversation with Grant and Luke. Hey, Grant and Luke, thanks for joining us for Church Pulse Weekly. Thanks for having having us. Really excited about today's conversation. You know, Grant, you know, we're going to talk about how to reach and engage Gen Z. And we had this idea, instead of just talking about Gen Z, uh, let's talk with Gen Z, which is what brings Luke to the table today. Luke, <laughs> thanks for joining us. You're doing some dynamic work as a young Gen Z leader. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in a, in a bit. But I want to start off with some data. Uh, we are launching a brand new project this fall called The Open Generation. It's a global look at today's teens. Uh, really excited about this. There's so much great data in this. Uh, we just released a few sneak peek stats a couple weeks ago. I wanted to share a couple of those with you. Uh, we found a couple things. First is we found that most teenagers around the world across different faith groups have a very positive perception of Jesus, which I know might surprise some people. Uh, there's this global impression of Jesus that he's loving, caring, trustworthy, generous, wise, peaceful, and this glowing list goes on and on. And they not only recognize Jesus as positive, but as, as someone who is real as well. Almost half say that Jesus was crucified, 47%. And about a third believe that he actually raised from the dead. So, we have this, uh, very, this generation that's very open to this Jesus who is historically real and overall pretty positive. Uh, we also found that this generation is open to making a real difference in the world. 87% of them agree, at least somewhat, that their generation has the ability to make a positive and meaningful impact in the world. So, the open generation, we love this title. We think it says a lot about this generation. So, how are you seeing this description of the open generation play out in your work with Gen Z? Yeah, you know, I think those stats and just that label of the open generation. I love that because I do think that's very descriptive of what's happening right now. Um, Where, I mean, just to give some encouragement to the leaders listening, Gen Z is very hungry for the gospel. Um, And 
every generation is right. It's what everybody's looking for, but there's, there is a particular openness. Um, and when they, when they get it and when they lay hold of it, they're really radical about it too. Um, which is a, a really key thing that I feel like we're seeing. Um, and so just for example, like here in Nashville, where I live over the past, I'd say about three years now, we've seen over a thousand high school and college students respond to the gospel in like two uh, counties alone. Um, and so, but they're not in uh, the traditional places. It's not, um, you know, where you would think of, it's in the middle of some of the craziest parties and, uh, you know, that you can imagine, like imagine some of the craziest like frat parties you've ever heard of. And hundreds of students are getting saved when the gospel gets presented. And just to be clear also on that point, it's not a, hey, do you want to add a little bit of Jesus to your life gospel? I mean, it is a clear call to repent and follow Jesus. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, I want that. Um, there, There's a, you know, even Grant mentioning the, you know, the Joe Rogans and the Gary V's, they're very drawn to the people that like, just tell you as it is, yeah, like tell it like it is. Um, they, you know, <laughs> the influencers that just are like cussing up a storm and are like, you just need to get your life together and you need to, you know, pull pull yourself up with the bootstraps and make something of your life. They're like, they eat it up. And, um, you know, there was a, we were joking, I think Grant, it was you and me and somebody else a while ago, but that we were saying that the messages that would have shut down churches 15 years ago are the ones that are like bringing revival, like to the Gen Z generation that they're eating up, that they're hungry for. And so I would say that those stats of, and just that label, I love that the open generation, um, it is kind of like they're sitting back going, we're not closed off to Jesus. Um, we're just waiting to hear something that's worth following and worth giving our life for. And when they hear it and when they see it, uh, they're pretty radical. They respond pretty radically to it. Hmm. Yeah. Grant, you've been studying kind of next gen, like, so you wrote this book, passion generation talking about millennials and I, you know, you and I have con- have conversations recently just about, there's some similarities between millennials and Gen Z, and then there's some big differences. I'd love for you to start with, with the differences. What, what's different about Gen Z? from what you've learned um, over the last few years and what, and what's the same and what do you think we should be paying attention to as leaders? I think, uh, and, and Luke, I want to set you up kind of to share it, uh, on this because there probably the biggest difference uh, that I'm seeing is I think Gen Z is realizing most of the most mature of Gen Z uh, is realizing that you can't, do what millennials did in trying to be cool enough to reach the the next generation, or you can't be uh, relatable enough or relevant enough. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a probably a line where it's like, Oh, this really resonates today in the world that in Jesus said this, and this really resonates. And Jesus said that like loving people and, and forgiveness. And there's certain things about Jesus. Like uh, you can't be true to yourself and share your truth, but also die to yourself. Um, those messages really conflict with each other. There's a, there's just several messages, uh, even, uh, do what's best for you. And, and there's just, uh, even an idea of like, I actually think, uh, one thing that's changed for millennials and kind of changing towards Gen Z is I feel like there used to be all this talk about the prosperity gospel. Um, just like 10 years ago, it was like, man, we've got to get uh, against the prosperity gospel. These guys that are preaching the prosperity gospel, these are the, 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 
downsides and what will happen if we buy into the prosperity gospel. I don't see a lot of Gen Z buying into the prosperity gospel. I I would say they're kind of buying into maybe this like purpose gospel, um, kind of like God's soul purpose is to help your purpose. Um, it's it's a lot of the preaching that resonates with Gen Z does tend to be, um, yeah, just about like he's gonna, he's going to open a door. He's he's going to make a way. He's going to. Uh, and it's like your calling. It's about your gifting. It's about what you're going to go do, what you're going to start. Um, we're seeing a lot of young people. I mean, the rise of young people. I remember seeing, I think it was Business Journal said that 52% of young people would actually take a pay cut at their job in order to have a job that made a difference. Um, if they could, like, they don't care about getting paid as much as they care about making a difference. And so uh, I think where the narratives kind of shift is, well, if we can't motivate them by money, let's motivate them by purpose. And I see that bleed into the church a lot today. And what that can do is you're not preparing a generation for suffering. Um, you're not preparing a generation for the real and difficult times that will come. Uh, versus like uh, Jesus saying, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I overcome the world. Uh, it's not if you will, if you have trouble, it's like you will have trouble. Um, I'm seeing a lot of tension there, but I think the biggest contrast that I appreciate, especially about Luke, if you want to share anything on this is, well, my generation maybe swung the pendulum a little too far in trying to be cool enough to reach the next generation. We love Kanye West when he's a Christian and doing Christian things. We love Justin Bieber when he's a Christian and doing Christian things. We love when any celebrity, like when, when Sean Mendez talked about how he listened to Maverick city and had an encounter with God, like those things get shared. When Dua Lipa was with Stephen Colbert recently and talked about God. And anytime we see celebrities talking about God, it's like, man, if we could just be famous in the world, and love God. That's like the win. Sometimes I feel like in the millennial book and what I'm seeing is we're starting to see that that doesn't, there's, there's areas where that just won't work. Um, Chris Pratt eventually gets critiqued for his faith. Um, everyone gets critiqued for certain areas of their faith. And so what I love about what uh, Luke is talking about is Gen Z is getting a little bit more fervent while there may be less in the next generation. When it comes to Christians, the the strength of their faith, I feel like, is growing stronger than, than we've seen in casual Christianity. And lastly, the desire for holiness, fasting, for uh, just really finding our identity in the gospel. Um, the things that I think are age-old, timeless principles, um, I'm starting to see a revival, even the desire for revival, not fame, but revival. Um, I, I love that devotion that I'm starting to see among Gen Z leaders. But I mean, Luke, if you want to share just a little on that, because you're, you and a couple others sure. have definitely instigated me seeing that contrast. Yeah, I would I would say one of the things, Grant, that you just mentioned is just the the cause orientedness in Gen Z. I'd say with millennials versus Gen Z, almost these two different identifiers of you have like almost like the idol of comfort in the millennial generation, and then you have more so the idol of self in the Gen Z generation where it is very much self-actualization, self-realization where self is the ultimate. Like I want to be a part of a cause because I want to be the hero. Yeah. Um, and um, bad side of that, good side of that is um, there is, I believe Jesus is preparing the next generation in his church for potential coming persecution. I think, um, I think there's an undercurrent of, a generation that will probably be the first to not be a Christian majority in at least our nation in a long time, um, moving into a very post-Christian uh, culture. Um, and I think there's something that, that God in his sovereignty, obviously natural, you know, nature versus nurture, 
things that have contributed to that. But I also think the Lord and his sovereignty is really put into the DNA of a generation. Um, this, uh, this determination, uh, to go, you know, come hell or high water, uh, we know what we're going to stand for and, and we're going to press in and go for it no matter what happens. And so I do see that in Gen Z. There's a willingness to suffer, um, for a cause. Um, there's, you know, even in the smallest thing of taking a pay cut, um, you know, there's, there's a willingness to, um, really just this deep down desire for cause in general. Um, and so I would say that's a little bit of the difference of where um, Gen Z is very entrepreneurial, where they're not really looking for something to be given to them with millennials. Like I think the big critique was just always the entitlement mentality, right? Of like, I deserve this, it should be given to me. Um, but with Gen Z, it's very entrepreneurial of I'm going to go out and get it. Like if, you know, I'm not waiting for somebody to hand it to me, um, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to start a ministry, I'm going to start a movement, whatever it is. And so I think those are some of the contrasts that I've been seeing. That's great. You know, as I'm as I'm looking at the landscape of church ministry, I'm wondering like, how do you guys in, in your ministries and how you you know you're working with young people, how are you being intentional to disciple the whole life of Gen Z, and, and what are some tips that you've picked up along the way, Luke? Let's start with you on that one. Yeah, um, you know, I would say definitely not an expert by this in in any means, and so this is also something I'm growing in, but I would, you know, I think for several of the guys that I disciple, um, I try to just do life with them, whether it's like, Hey, let's go work out. Hey, come hang out with my family. Hey, uh, you know, it's not, I try not to just limit it to, um, let's, uh, let's just go get coffee and go through this specific, you know, resource or discipleship, um, you know, thing, which is helpful and needed. I think we need reproducible processes, um, to help dis with discipleship so that they can then go on and disciple. Cause I think it, if the person you're discipling can't disciple somebody else, we haven't made a disciple. Um, but I think that whole life is huge because, you know, they're not just asking questions. You know, they're asking questions about their money. Like, how do I steward my money? What do I do with my job? Where do I go to school? And, um, I think in a very individualistic culture where there used to be much more, you know, for all of human history, it's like you were in a community, right? Like you had the older people in your life to, uh, that had walked that way before that it could help show you, you know, how, you know, how to work through family dynamics, how to, what to do with work. Like it was more than just, Hey, we set aside this little bit of time to talk about, um, you know, your Bible reading, but it's, that whole part of your life, the questions about money, the questions about, you know, dating and relationships. And so I think um, as much as possible, um, allowing them to see my life um, and do more with them than simply meet for an hour. But honestly, like, let's hang out, like, let's do something fun in addition, which I think you need, I think there's our parts of um, young adult ministry that goes too far in that direction where they're basically building younger friends and not making disciples. But um, I think that is a big piece because one thing that's being brought out a lot with Gen Z is they are really looking for mentors and they don't know how to go about it. They don't know how to go about getting discipled and they're afraid to ask. And then on the other side, you have an older generation that 
really wants to disciple, genuinely wants to disciple, but they're also, they want the approval and, and affirmate, like they want to be, they want young people to think they're cool. Like there was a leader that we were with just a couple weeks ago, major leader in the body of Christ. And it was like, Hey, can I be honest? I want Gen Z to think I'm cool as much as you want me to have, to have my approval. And so I think you have those two flip sides of the coin. Um, but yeah, just doing life with them, letting them see into your life. Um, and it also kind of gets a bit of that like polished facade off of it of like, oh, this, this is a real person and um, following Christ and that imitate me as I imitate Christ example of Paul. And so those are a couple of things I would say on that point. Yeah. yeah. I would say for, um, for the next generation, Joe, what you pointed out is probably one of my favorite things. That's like kind of a silver lining of the next generation is one uh, you almost have to disciple into them or teach them about the sacred and secular divide. It's like they don't know about it. It's definitely not in their bones, if you will. Uh, while before you used to have to have like faith and work conferences and all these different conferences, like help to show that, hey, these can go together. Well, for the next generation, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, luckily they don't know that. Uh, that it's sacred. I don't know if they know how to tap into the sacred, into all these different spaces, but they definitely don't try to divide them as much. Uh, I think there can be discipleship empowerment and showing, man, there's so much areas here that they could be more sacred and more missional. Um, the second thing is, I think that uh, silver lining of the next generation is they are so passionate about doing something and making a difference that they are, they've graduated the idea of just wanting to show up to church and that be the, the end of the scorecard, like uh, to just show up, give and maybe volunteer and at best bring some people with you that's kind of what the hero in the congregation at least has looked like and i think they like i want to take everything that's happening here into the world and that's what i do love about q where i work is um them kind of identifying or like working with the language around those eight channels of business education uh the public square family entertainment that there's these areas that that make and shift the culture that you live in. And we have Christians. God has, uh, we have brothers and sisters in all these different channels. And uh, I guess one way I'm actively similar to similar to Luke, not professional at it, but me and a friend, Noah Heron are trying to, I'm trying to help him as he plants a church and help him with like the DNA of the church. And one thing I've said is, bro, for the love of God, literally for the love of God, <laughs> like we have got to not make church all about like, Hey, come and listen to me next week and come back next week and listen to me and come back next week and listen to me. Um, I always say, Jesus, he, I mean, mentorship is come and meet with me. Jesus said, come and follow me, discipleship. And most of the time we're just saying, come and listen to me next week. And then come and listen to me next week and come and listen to me next week. And again, luckily the next generation is, is graduated and tired and ready for something more than just sitting down and listening to someone. Um, and so what we're talking about here is how do we get back to Ephesians 4.11 in this church where where we actually, if we're a part of the leadership team on the church, uh, it, the church should not hinge on our success in our leadership. It should hinge on the congregation. Um, William Carey said it shouldn't be the seating capacity. It should be the sending capacity. And so uh, for us, it's like, how do we get back to building up the body and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? So we kind of using those channels and identifying what are the major channels of Nashville here. And, and I actually think every city you could kind of identify what are the strong channels of those major cities. And in LA, I think it's entertainment. Um, in, in New York City, I think it's entertainment. I think there's fashion. I think uh, business is huge. 
and DC, the channel of politics is very influential. And Boston, that's a heavy educational city. Um, um, some of the most influential cities for those channels. And, and if Nashville, I think is entertainment, I think church is a big channel of course, uh, and maybe business. And then I would like, let's find those channels. And if we get Christians in those areas, how do we, uh, how do we start to recruit Christian leaders and sages, if you will, that are there and kind of give them ambassador and discipling roles to educate and lead groups of people that, Hey, I mean, as much as I want to hear sometimes a pastor speak on money or on politics or on family or on every topic, um, it's great to hear from someone who's killing it in the marketplace they also share a lot on that and, and the difficulties of what's it like to be in Hollywood and be an entertainer, but also to not compromise and to keep your faith. And, and anyway, I, I think what we're trying to do is how to create communities and even tracks for Christians, creatives and Christian and here, uh, medical industry is really big. It's like, how do we think about, if we're going to have a lot of Christians in the medical space and we spend one third of our life at work, then it's not just to gain money to give alone it's also a space where we have time sacred time that we could be excellent at what we do we could be faithful we could lead with character we could create a culture of character and hospitality and uh and and ideally and potentially maybe we we could be extremely evangelistic as well and and very uh steward our resources well and so uh i think one the church starts hinging success on on the success of its people um especially also in their jobs since we spend so much time and intentionality and we go to school for this uh, why would we not tap into discipling them into the their their ambassador role in the workplace as well? Yeah, Luke. I mean, so you listen to Grant. He just shared a great, passionate, you know, description of like a vision, a great, you know, open vision for the church. Like Luke, which as a Gen Zer, what resonated with you about Grant's vision there? You know, I think. Getting beyond, so I think one thing in Gen Z, like Grant mentioned, is getting beyond um, where I think for a long time the only way that most people saw to be able to serve God was um, by becoming a pastor or a missionary or maybe a worship leader. Um, But even with the entrepreneurial aspect of Gen Z, uh, they're discovering, you know, maybe more so forgetting, I think, maybe than discovering actually. Uh, some of those ideas of like, hey, I've got to be a pastor to serve God. Or I remember one story about um, this doctor that would show up early for all these conferences to set up chairs. And the pastor's like, man, so glad that you came. And he was like, oh, it's my favorite thing to do because it's the one day a year that I get to do do God's work. And it was like, man, he's like, he he thinks that what he's doing 364 days out of the year is not God's work. And so I think um, we're seeing with Gen Z a good piece, potentially, we'll see there, there might be downsides to this, but this um, self-actualization piece, like what have I been made to do? What have I been called to do is a realization that you can be called to do something and have a calling from God that's not to be a pastor, not to be a worship leader, uh, not to be a missionary. And that it's important. You know, I think in my opinion, probably one of the holiest men that we have record of in history is Daniel and the dude's a politician. You know, you have Nehemiah, you have, uh, you have, uh, Joseph, Esther, um, majority of the people, you know, there's a great book by Timothy Keller called every good endeavor. And one of the things he said in there is he said, if you thought of a book titled, 
um, the man God uses. He goes, you would immediately think of a pastor or a missionary or something like that. He goes, but what if it was about Joseph? You'd be pretty surprised. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a resonating in Gen Z to go, wow, God has a vast array of callings and um, I don't have to suppress what God has made me to do if it's to be in business, if it's to to be in a different sphere. Um, but I think also the flip side is um, there's also a great desire, I think, to be like culture in Gen Z rather than to be in the world, but not of it and not realizing the difference between being a friend of sinners and a friend of the world. And the Bible makes a very clear distinction between the two. Um and so, but I do, I think Gen Z and I also resonate with the fact that um, I think even a lot of young ministry leaders, it's like, they've got like side hustles, like yeah. they're starting businesses and ministries and uh, they're doing it all at the same time. And I think there's going to be a greater impact in the kingdom because of it. Hey, so at Barna, we're all about asking questions, right? So I, what I want to do is I want to turn it around to you guys. What do you, what do you think are the most pressing, important questions that Gen Z are asking of us leaders and of the church? What, what are the big questions that are on their mind, on their hearts that they're wanting answers for? I mean, I'd say right now, I think with what's been going on recently, um, the question of the problem of evil, I think that's a huge thing for them of with the shootings that have been taking place. They're like, how on earth could this happen? And there be a God that's involved in everyday life. And how, if, if he is involved, how could he be good? Um, I think that's a big question that they're asking. Um, I think also questions that they're asking, maybe not so much able to put it into words, but that they're experiencing uh, that's affecting how they view the church is also um the, the character of major leaders within the church. Um, so much of, you know, that's very public news. Um, I think ever since, you know, honestly, I don't even like to name names, but ever since just certain stories broke, um, it has become uh, a great soundbite for the media. And so it's getting spread everywhere as soon as it comes out. And so that's a big piece of why there's distrust from Gen Z, I think of going, you know, Jesus is cool, but the church maybe not so much. Um, so I think that's a big question that they're asking. Um, those would be the first two off the top of my head. Um, and I think also the question of how does following Jesus actually relate to my everyday life? Um, how does it relate to the anxiety that I'm experiencing, the depression that I'm experiencing, the pain at home, uh, maybe the abuse that I've experienced? Um, how does this actually come into the midst of what I'm experiencing and, um, and transform and heal and, um, be relevant to the everyday life that I'm living. Um, I would say are the, some of the first that come to mind. Yeah. Uh, quick ones I'll say is, uh, I think a lot of young people, um, uh, Christian and not Christian, I would even say for a Christian young person, it's almost harder because they feel like God's been silent on this, but they're trying to figure out, yeah, what is it that I distinctly was designed to make a difference in the world? Um, I feel like a lot of young Christians, even that have finished college, um, are in their first or second or third job that often remotely has nothing to do with what they graduated in. And they feel this tension, like this gnawing at their soul that they're missing out. 
uh, that they're they're seeing their friends go and and they're getting left behind. And if you're a Christian, you feel like, oh, what, why have you forgotten about me? Or did I mess up? Or just what is it that I'm supposed to go and do? Or how can I how can I get to doing this this dream that's in my heart? Um, two, I do think maybe again where they couldn't put into words, but I think many young people are struggling a ton with comparison. It's just the the amount of arenas and areas i mean keeping up with the jones used to be like i saw their front yard the neighbor's front yard their new car maybe their house being renovated now i mean i could see every i'm comparing to people i've never even met before and i have the ability to compare my lunch to their lunch my job i can see into so many facets of people's lives um and just learning a good theology of identity and um and yeah the uh, all that i think is would be really helpful i think uh Big one right now is even for millennials, I, I struggled with this a lot. And, and I think Gen Z, even more, it's going to be harder for them is how do I be faithful as a Christian and also almost automatically get labeled as like a hate group um, or as someone who's apparently hating um, people or judgmental or legalistic. Like um, uh, to be a Christian today, we're not, we're less and less the majority, almost minority that. Uh, it's really somewhat of a more. It may be good. It's a sacrifice to to say I'm I'm with these guys. Um, I'm I am running. I'm walking with Christ. Um, and then uh, third, I would say uh, I do think I'm seeing a lot among young Christian women just uh, more understanding um, questions around uh, what does it look like to uh, when it comes to women in the church and what has historically been. Maybe sometimes would be viewed as limited roles for them in the church, in the family, and beyond. And then what what could it look like? Uh, and what yeah, what is God's view for for women uh, today? Uh, especially when there's so many, so much more women in the church than there are, than there are men. And this is what I love about the church, right? You guys just brought up some of the pressing questions a lot of Gen Z are asking, and the church has answers for them. The question is, how do we unlock those answers? Right, and how do we not get in the way of some of those answers, you know, being answered for for young people? And so, I'd love to get practical, guys. Like, you know, and we know those of us who've been in ministry, we know that this can be messy. Um, it can be a little daunting. You know, sometimes you know the younger generations can seem like a million miles away. How do we bring them close? How do we understand them better? And then, how do we activate them? Uh, to make a difference, um, even in the midst of it being a little messy and a little unpredictable. Luke, what's your advice to church leaders who are listening today? Yeah, I love that question because I think it is a very, uh, I'm hearing that question a lot from church leaders of, we don't have any young people in our church that can lead or that we would trust to lead or that we would trust to empower or to delegate to. Um, And you know, I think one of the things I think about in that conversation a ton is because it is messy is when Jesus sends out his disciples and it says he sends them out before his face into all the towns where he was about to go and sends them all out. They come back. One of these towns has rejected the gospel and they ask to call down fire from heaven (laughs) on this town. And, you know, I mean, just imagine like you send out some teenagers or some young adults to go preach the gospel somewhere and they come back and they're like, Hey, um, you know, they rejected it. Can we go back and break all their legs? Like you'd be like, 
I mean, they're asking to kill people. Like this is yeah. not, you know, I think we kind of gloss over that. Like they're asking for these people to die. And, um, if somebody came back and said that to me and was serious, like they were, I'd be like, you need to cool down and probably never be in ministry again. And, or at least take like three years to chill out. And, but what I love is that happens in Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70. It's like, you thought that was a good idea after the conversation that you just had. But what I love about the way that Jesus leads, and this is a constant thing that I'm trying, I always try to keep in mind is expecting they're going to make mistakes, but realizing that that's just part of it. Like you have to build that into your idea of what it means to raise up and release leaders. Um, and, you know, I love that Jesus also, he doesn't brush it under the rug or like try to be cute with it. He gives them very clear feedback. Um, and, but then what he doesn't do in the midst of them making a mistake is take away their authority and influence, which I think can be our tendency is when somebody messes up, which they're going to, like, you try to empower young leaders, like somebody's going to say something heretical probably at some point, and you're going to have to correct it. Um, it's just, you know, part of it. Um, but he doesn't take away their influence. He doesn't take away their authority. He corrects, he gives feedback, and then he sends them out again with, you know, 58 of their friends. And um, I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. And, and again, this is something for us as leaders. Uh, I think a common complaint is, hey, there's no young people that can lead or, you know, who's going to, who's, who's the, the leader I can pass the baton to that's coming up. And I think if, if there are no leaders within our church, within our organization that, that are ready to lead, that can, that are you know ready to have the baton passed to them, that's more of an indictment on us as leaders than it is on the generation. Because that, you know, that's something I always try to tell myself if I'm like, man, we have a leadership, a lack of leaders, we have, you know, a leadership pipeline problem. Um, I'm going, okay, that's probably on me um, because I'm not identifying that. I'm not raising it up. I'm not giving feedback. And I think it's, uh, it's always true, whether in sports, in, in, you know, business, whatever it is that you learn the best and the quickest when you're in the game, not on the bench. And, you know, you put somebody in the game to play, they're not going to be good very quick and they're probably not going to contribute a whole lot early. Um, but after six months of that, they're going to be where they would have been after five years of sitting on the bench to watch. And so I think as much as getting them into the game and letting them try, realizing they're going to make mistakes, probably not contribute a whole lot at first, require a lot of feedback, um, but not withdrawing the influence and authority you give them in the midst of that, unless there's major character flaws and, and persistent character flaws that need to be corrected and readjusted. Um, got to get them in the game and you got to let them play and, um, and realize that I think every generation thinks, you know, nobody's trustworthy in the next generation. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's as good as I was at this age. And, um, you know, that's my tendency already at 25 and I'm like, uh, <laughs> we got to combat that. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll quickly say that, uh, I think, yeah, I think what Luke's saying is really, really wise. Uh, I would, I would bet that many, many of the leaders, especially pastors that are listening today, um, if you, you look back at your story, you probably have someone who put you in the game a little sooner than you deserve to be in the game. Uh, they give you responsibilities bigger than you deserve. They kind of put their neck on the line and gambled on you. They saw things that maybe you didn't even see. 
Uh, but they gave you an opportunity to fail forward or to like see something in you that, that again, you didn't know about. And uh, I, I found some of the best high capacity young Christian leaders and older Christians now as I got to meet them. They have this common story uh, line where someone did that for them. Uh, someone, again, poured into them and pushed them into the deep end. And they just had to learn how to swim. They learned, They started asking questions sooner than they probably would have. They started seeking mentorship. They started reading books because they didn't have the answers, started listening to podcasts. They started being active, and especially it created hunger in them uh, because of that push into the deep end. And so uh, I, I would just say don't fall into the trap. Uh, that is such a common trap of asking the wrong question. Uh, and it's the probably one of the biggest questions I get asked all the time is how do we reach the next generation? It's the question of our day and when it comes to young people. And I would say that question isn't the right question. I don't think we should ask how we how do we reach the next generation or how do we do ministry to the next generation? It should be how do we do ministry through the next generation? Like how do we uh, join, have them join what we're doing and even them lead at certain times? and reaching their own generation. Um, I think anyone would tell you, if you want to go reach another country, how do you reach another country? You don't do it just from afar and you create what you think they need. You go and you you work with, not even on some leaders that you work with some leaders there that can, can translate. These are the needs. These are the hurts. These are the pains. This is why the way you preach the gospel is going to be seen this way. But if we, we talk about it this way, which is still, it's not compromising, but it's like, this is what they're looking for, and this is where the gospel is so much better than what they're looking for. Uh, I'll just say, yeah, don't don't just do ministry to them. Do ministry through them, and all of a sudden you'll see a lot more people there. I think uh, a lot of a lot of churches have to ask. So the real question is, do you, do you really want to do ministry through them, or do you just want them to show up? Because that's that's whenever churches say to me, we want to grow young, I ask them, do you mean you want to change a lot, or do you mean you want a younger audience because you got to differentiate between the two and, and ask the hard questions. Like, do you want to change some of the people on your executive team and add some young people? Do you want to change some of the communicators at your conference or at your church and have some younger people, the MCs, are they going to be younger or some of the leadership team, the worship team, the worship style, the, the experience, the budget, Is, are you willing to change all these things? Cause you want young people and so all I know is I've never seen a church that doesn't sincerely want young people. I would ask the question, how much do you want young people? Because there's no way mm. to truly reach young people uh, without changing things. And, and that's a good thing, because I would say when you do ministry through them and with them, ministry is better. Um, we, all, we have this phrase, better together. I think ministry is better when it's more racially diverse, when it's even denominationally diverse, when it's generationally diverse um and i even kind of speak, clearly I've spoken a lot about like industry the way we bring christians with different perspectives because they're in different industries than just church pastors and seminary training but christians in all these different sectors god has a big family and we we i don't think we struggle with the lack of resources in the church or struggle with the lack of churches or nonprofits or ideas i think we struggle with uniting and bringing all these guys in that god's already given us and being on, like, how do we learn from each other and work together? But, uh, yeah, again, just not doing ministry to them, but doing ministry through them. And then lastly, uh, just accepting that reaching the next generation is not an easy thing. It's not a silver bullet. Um, you kind of quoted the story of them praying. I've never heard a sermon, Luke, where they talk about that, where the disciples asked for them to destroy a city. And um, I would just say, you know, in Matthew seventeen seventeen, Jesus said in red letters, Oh, how long will... I have to put up with you people. 
I've never seen it on a coffee cup or a t-shirt, but Jesus said, how long will I have to put up with you people? You twisted and perverse generation. As he's talking about the disciples, and I, I know it's kind of joking, but I'm serious. As I really saw that, and I thought, man, Jesus didn't sin when he said that. But that sounds so mean for him to say, oh, how long will I have to put up with you people? And I don't have kids, but I've talked to enough parents that would say, in their heart, at least, maybe even verbally, to their spouse, how they said, babe, how long is this season going to last, you think? Like, this is hard. This is difficult. And and I think if you're not saying that, you're probably not discipling. You're probably just influencing or speaking to from a distance. But no one disciples someone, or especially parents someone, without having to kind of go through a couple seasons where you're like, man, this is we're going to take a minute. Like, this is hard work. This is difficult. And and I, I think it's just better to set expectations that we want the silver bullet. Like, how do we make this minor change and reach an entire generation that's really hurt by the church, leaving the church, uh, not seeing God active through the church, and instead accept that, no, it's about as hard as parenting. But like like Luke showed and we see in the scriptures, but it's worth it because these disciples became prayer warriors. They took the gospel to nations. They they prayed for boldness when they were beaten instead of prayed for a hedge of protection. Like they're so different because the investment Jesus made and I think you will make in the next generation. Yeah, that's a powerful vision, Grant. And Luke, I love how, you know, Grant's vision I think actually is living out through your life, right? We can see, you know, when when you have a, a group of leaders that supports a young person like yourself to say, you know what? Um Luke, we're gonna we're we're not gonna just do ministry at you or or to you, but we're gonna do ministry through you. And Luke, yeah. you know, we can see some great fruit already happening as a twenty five year old young person. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your ministry, actually. Uh, yeah. You know what what are you doing right now, and how can people connect with you online? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we launched a ministry called Consecrate uh, in October of last year, and the heart behind that is to call the next generation to total devotion to Jesus and his mission, um, to call them to consecration. And the way we define consecration is to be set apart from the world and set apart for the mission of Jesus. And so we do that through large-scale gatherings that partner with the local church. So we're very uh, purposeful to do everything in, with, by the local church. Um, and it's a catalyzer for the local church where we raise all the funds for the gathering, where all people have to do is bring their young people. The tickets don't cost anything. The church doesn't have to bear the burden of that. We raise all the funds for it. Um, and so we have right now one of those gatherings a year where those will start to expand where we have more of them, but this year it's going to be in Nashville in November. Um, and yeah, you can, you can learn more about it at our, on our website or on social media. The website's just consecrate 2022.com or uh, consecrate underscore movement on Instagram. Um, but that's kind of an easy way to keep up with it and learn more. Sounds awesome, Luke. Hey, and Grant, you're next gen director at, uh, at Q. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are you doing to actively, um, engage next gen at Q and, and what, what, what do we need to know about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these days we're doing strategic gatherings for just high capacity. I'm always looking for young Christians that God is using in special ways in culture. Again, if actors, actresses, uh, speakers, uh, authors, musicians, whether they're American Idol or The Voice or maybe they're uh, I don't know, an online influencer. It's a lot of different people. I'm just looking who are Christians in culture is if we have a generation that generally isn't going to church once they hit college, then we also need to not just have seminaries that train pastors for the church, 
but also have organizations like what we want to do is train Christians and I would say missionaries for culture. And so, yeah, we do strategic gatherings. And next year we'll do a gathering called the Next Gen Summit in, I think, in November as well, where we'll gather a lot of these high capacity young Christian leaders. But through Q, we'll also open it up to the Q audience to bring in their young people as well. Awesome. Well, hey, Grant, Luke, appreciate your time and thanks for your passion. Thanks for your ministry. Thanks for the powerful vision that you've cast today as you've answered some of our questions. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, Joe, Grant, and Luke, thank you so much for those insights. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Hey, if this episode helped you, would you share it on social media? Would you share it with a friend? Text the link to a friend and uh, let us know it made a difference because we're here committed to helping you lead through this current situation that we're in. You know, it seems like it never gets easier. It just gets more complicated. Uh, and that's why we're here. So as always, we would love for you to get the very best from Barna. So you can go to barna.com slash access and get a special bonus for our listeners. Use the promo code CHURCHPULSE and you will get 20% off your Barna Access Plus subscription. That's access to everything that Barna does, all the reports, all the resources. You get 20% off if you go to barna.com slash access. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.